like you and I, we owe it to ourselves to say, well, what is my take on that? What is my flavor? How do I remix this pizza in a way that people feel like, oh, this has been updated for 2023 or 2024. I like that flavor. And it's, you know, the most powerful thing, number one thing, it's the sound quality of your voice. Mm-hmm. When we're creating content in the way that you and I are creating, there is a register in which you speak at that's a frequency that we're either in sync or out of sync with. Like when we say we're on the same wavelength, I thought yeah. it was like on a surf wavelength, but that ain't the wavelength. I think it's an audio frequency wavelength, like whatever mm. our energy, our brain patterns, and it emits a sound in this energy that gets communicated, it hits people. Yeah. It's time to get inside your own head. Begin with the psychology behind your behaviors. Infuse it with an acute understanding of self-awareness, emotion, storytelling, body language, and more. Then look at it all through the lens of the latest neuroscience research, broken down to its most digestible form. And you've arrived. Enhanced messaging, deeper connection, heightened influence, and a greater impact on the world. Welcome to the Amplify Podcast with Renee Rodriguez. Welcome everybody to the Amplify Podcast. And today we have somebody that I am personally, I don't even care if you guys listen because I'm going to have fun today on today's podcast. No, actually, I obviously do care, but I, and I'm excited that you get a chance to meet our guest today, Chris Doe. What I really love about Chris is I'd heard about him through my friend Neil, seen him, you know, I heard that, you know, he's always at his masterminds and you can hear, but I'd never done any research on it and on Chris. And when I met him at the forward event, I was like, this is one of the coolest dudes I've ever met and just extremely humble dressed his own style. You could tell that he kind of had his own little vibe going on and he was just so down to earth and you could tell that this guy was all heart. And then I saw him speak and I was like, okay, this guy is special. And then I did my research on him. I'm like, okay, the world already knows that he's special. I'm the one that's late to the game here. And so Chris, number one, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Renee. Absolutely. So Chris, I, I did a little bit, you know, of my research, you know, I, I think the best introductions are the ones that are the most organic, especially with someone's experience. I looked into who you've worked with and I, and I loved your, your mission statement. So I'm going to read that, but you're an award-winning designer, which I want to go into that, the award-winning Emmy award-winning, excuse me, uh, director, C, uh, CEO and chief strategist of blind and at blind, you got a chance to work some pretty cool companies. I'll just name a few major league baseball, Microsoft, Wells Fargo, Sony, Xbox, Snapchat. So you work some cool, iconic brands. But what I love is your mission is to help a billion people learn how to make money or make a living doing what they love. And so let's let's cover a couple of things first. Tell me about winning an Emmy because that is something that uh, not many people say can say they did. Yeah, you know, I think when you're young in your career and your life, you think winning awards is like the ultimate accolade and acknowledgement from your peers and after you win a few you're like my life hasn't changed at all but there are a couple of awards that are on the top shelf that are so elusive that you think i don't think i can get one of those and the emmy is one of them and there's a there's a story here because there's a young woman who's my office manager her name's cheryl and she goes chris i noticed you have all the awards the one that you don't have is emmy do you mind if i try and figure out how to get one and i'm like uh, sure fine and the reason why is because we primarily work in making commercials and show promos. Emmy is for people who work on TV shows, very mm. specific, where the Academy 
uh, is for films. Uh, the Emmy is for TV shows. But she finds the one category that I'm qualified to enter, which is a music video. And there's an individual award for art direction and animation. And so she submits kind of like saying, I'm submitting. You just need to sign this document. And lo and behold, I'm selected and I find out that I win. So I'm like, this is fantastic. Uh, and when I actually win the award, they tell you this thing. They, they say you have literally 30 seconds to say something memorable. Keep it short and pithy because otherwise you won't make the edit for TV. And for an introvert like me, that is a lot of freaking pressure oh, yeah. to give a speech and to make it memorable. So I'm tortured over this speech more than winning the award. And it's horrific, the whole process. But obviously, I survived. But it's actually pretty cool to win that kind of award. I agree with you that some of those things that you think are going to be like, once I do this, be great. I remember 28 years ago, I was, I thought I was holding my first chief executive magazine. And at the time, I was in sort of a business development mode of how do I get in front of CEOs? And I thought, man, this is one magazine with all of them. If I could ever be in this magazine, my life is set. Well, I did it this last year and chief executives in Inc and Fast Company and Forbes. And my life wasn't much different afterwards. It didn't really solve anything. You know, making a cover of a magazine, you think that's going to do anything? Mm, no. It adds cool feathers to the cap. But yeah, I agree that Emmy's a whole nother, a whole nother level. I want to go into something that is on my mind and a frustration that I've had because I think it's something that is going to be a good conversation. It's around this concept of personal branding and branding. So when I created mine, I have one of my best friends that was a head of UX at Crispin Porter Bogusky. So you think you've heard of that firm, right? Pretty big. And this was when they were in their heyday. So he worked with all the major brands and everything. His name is Matt Walsh. I said, Matt, I go, I, I need to build a brand. I've never done this. I've done, I've got 27 years, 20, 25 years, 26 years, whatever time was mastering a craft, but I've never put any attention on branding. He took me on a journey that it was the opposite of what I was. I go, I just need a logo and a color scheme. And he starts laughing. He's like, that's like last. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you need a copywriter first. I'm like, oh, I'm a writer. I'm a copywriter. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. You need to capture your ethos. And I had no idea what that meant. Even though I use the word ethos in our training from, from an Aristotle perspective, from what you all think about, ethos is very different and it's really unique. And so I fought the process, but out of that process and following this very different approach to branding came the true essence of who I was and that then a designer could work with. And then everything that was designed and created came from this core essence of my ethos, which I thought was great. And so here are the questions and I want to dive into this. One is what's your, what do you think your either biggest frustration or the biggest mistake or the biggest misconception you see right now people are making when it comes to personal branding. Okay, this is a good one. And I, I'm, I'm going to throw some some arrows or shoot some arrows into the audience and see who it hits here because it might hurt a couple of people. <laughs> Love <okay>? it. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and this is me citing the Harvard Business Review article. The I think it's the May-June issue, HBR. And on the cover is like, this thing called personal branding. So of course I need to buy it to see what the intellectuals, the academics I have it. think about it. Right. And I read it and I was very, very disappointed by it. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. And obviously it's not a, a condemnation of the entire magazine or other writers, but it was really about how to create your resume essentially to go get a job. And I was thinking yeah. they completely missed the whole point of a personal brand. They're using some, some new language to describe a very old concept, which is how do you become most presentable online to attract the right recruiters or the job opportunity? Now, you and I, I think we're talking about something very, very different, something that rises way above a job, a profession or something. It's the essence of who you are and allowing the world to see that. 
And I think mm. what happens is we're very guarded in our professional life. We create this persona, uh, the person that we think we need to be to be accepted by society. And this is something that's been instilled within us from the child, from the moment in which we were children to now. And so, so many of us go around thinking, this is who I am. Of course, this is who I am, but this is just a shell. It's a mask that we wear to show that we're strong when we need to be strong, that we're not, we don't have faults and we don't have idiosyncratic weird stuff that we like or do or say. And so we hide that from the world. And and the, the biggest crime I think is that we hide it from ourselves such that when we show up and you and I have been around enough people where we can see through the shell, the exterior, the facade, we see the real person and we, we yeah. think to ourselves and it's not polite for us to say, but let it go, man. Mm. Why are you fronting? Why, why are you acting like you're, you and your, your spouse just did not get divorced and that your children hate you and that you're alienated? Why, why do you yeah. want to puff up so much, pretend to be somebody? Because that person's not very likable. The real person, mm. the person that I can see and sense that's deep inside of you is a very lovable person. So it's this weird dichotomy that we think by showing strength and power and if you're man, masculinity or that alpha energy that people like to project, that that's what's going to attract other people to us because that's what we want. We want to be accepted. We want to be acknowledged. We, we would like to be loved. And we're doing everything we can to actually push people away unknowingly. You know, it's interesting, and I want you to keep going on this, but if you're hearing this, you're, you're hearing one of the masters talk about branding saying, in the essence, we all want to be accepted, we all want to be loved. But there's a caveat to that, as who we are. But most of us seek that praise and that love based on what we think people will love. That's a big shift in that. I, I was talking to somebody about this and I said, they were talking about going viral. I said, the biggest mistake or the worst thing that could ever happen to you is that you go viral for a video that you don't really believe in or a video that you followed a trend that really you had no expertise in because now the world's expecting that from you and you can't go real deep. So don't try to follow the trends, be the trend and be that. And, and, and if you're not the trend, that's fine. But going viral over something that was a trend that you really don't have much knowledge on, that's a trap. That's a trap. But I love that you're talking about that. Keep going. I love this. There's an expression. I don't know who said this originally, but it really resonates with me. And it's, it goes like this. I would rather be hated for being myself than to be loved for somebody I'm not. Mm. And this is unfortunately the majority of people who show up on social media. They, they care about the numbers. They, they're chasing the algorithm. They want that short dopamine hit of people liking me, people care, people are engaging that they continue to give that more, that that alternate version of themselves to their audience while suffocating and drowning their own self. And when they show up as themselves because of how they presented themselves originally, people turn on them. So it's this really weird situation where we kind of fall into a trap of our own design. Yeah. How do you help somebody see that, right? Because it's there's a there's a great quote from Stanley Kubrick. It says, our ability to eloquently talk about a subject matter can create the consoling illusion that we've mastered it. And so we talk about being ourselves so often, and so many of us can talk about it, but so few of us actually do. How do you sift through the personal BS, and even when we lie to ourselves about it, and really get people to open up and share from a business perspective who they are? I think there are a lot of ways to do this. I'm going to tell you the way that's worked for me, and everybody can figure out what may or may not work for them. Uh, I, I'm like everybody else, I think, in the sense that I, I too want to be accepted. And I had a pretty rough childhood being an immigrant, a refugee from Vietnam coming to America. English was not my first language. And when we when we moved into different neighborhoods that were predominantly Caucasian, uh, they sure made me feel like I did not belong. 
And so my biggest fear at school was, uh, I wonder who I'm going to eat lunch with today because I just don't want to eat by myself. That feeling of being ostracized by community is very, very powerful because human beings were wired to be social creatures. Through cooperation, through inclusion and connection, we build community. And that's very important for our survival, for our mental health, for emotional and spiritual health. This is very important. So I'm battling this myself, trying to figure out who the heck am I? And of course, if you want to be accepted by the majority and you're the minority, you, you try to adopt their language visually, physically, everything that you can, you adopt their language. And so for a long time, I didn't know who I was, Renee, and I had to really work through that. And the, the way that I started to build myself up was I found something that I thought I was good at, that I was passionate about, speaking about Kubrick, and I was very passionate about design. And so when I went to school and started to learn about design and enroll in a, in a degree program, I found like I'm pretty good at this. I really enjoy this. And then now I can start to build myself up. So I would say the first step is to build a skill, to put in the reps. Before you start thinking about the esoteric components of what a personal brand is, who the heck you are, yeah. have a skill, have something that you can hang your hat on. And it doesn't have to be anything profound. I'm intrigued by these videos that go viral on TikTok and on Instagram and, and social media where there's somebody who does their job really well. Like <laughs> a guy who folds pizza boxes. Have you seen those videos? Oh, yeah. Or, or these guys who throw bricks up into the air and the other person just catches it and lays it perfectly. I find that very admirable. There's so a I. Latin expression, which I cannot pronounce and I cannot remember, but it goes something like this. The English trans translation is there's nobility in doing humble things well. There's nobility in doing humble things well. Mm. So I'm not here to poo-poo on anybody. Like if you're literally laying bricks or like working on the road on a construction site, if you just do that to the best of your ability and actually achieve some level of excellence, I think the world will love you for it. And right. I think you're living in the perfect time to do this because there are so many diverse interests that people can can say, I'm, I'm for you. I'll show up and watch your show. I'll buy that t-shirt from you, you crazy person who makes crazy pizzas. I, I like you and I feel that. And it gives us joy to support people who are very passionate. So start with that skill. Put in your 10,000 hours and then we can go to level two, three, and four. It's, it's figuring out the skill first. And I, I think when, when I talk about ethos, I do it in the context of Aristotle's rhetorical triangle, ethos, pathos, logos, where ethos is your credibility, your character, but it's also the essence. And so I always give people the opposite example. You said, well, I don't understand ethos. I said, well, what if I were to do a workshop on the menstrual cycle and the, the how women are getting it wrong? <laughs> I feel like, yeah, Renee, you shouldn't be teaching that. I'm like, why? Well, I've never had one. Okay, so that's out of character for me. And I have no credibility. Being overweight and giving advice. Okay, I probably shouldn't do that on how to lose weight. Or being broke and telling you how to make money. Or being a social media guru having not much engagement. In fact, the guru in social media I think is interesting because it hasn't been along, around long enough to have gurus yet. I think there's just right. experimenters. And the ability to replicate success is not an easy one. Right. It's not an easy one. There's so many factors I think that we're still uncovering in terms of what it is, which I think is great, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I love that the, the, the fear of showing people who we are or thinking that we are in this comparison world where I have to do something great, but I know how to lay the hell out of these bricks. And I too, I watch these people just do, you know, sometimes cooking street food. I'm like, well, how did they do that? And they'd throw the plates like that and person just, whoosh, and just catches it. Right. I'm like, that is right. the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I will, I'll, I will want to go eat there. But they had no fear about who they were. They didn't have any need for comparison. They just did what they did. And I think that's, I think that's beautiful. And so let's mm -hmm. go back to, to, to this. And 
is I want to dive deeper. I like taking one idea and just going as deep as I can with it, because I think it's good if you're still listening to this to ask yourself, am I truly portraying who I am? Am I truly in the, the lane that I should be occupying? And you talked about putting in the reps and the hours. So many people built brands and then figured, tried to figure out what can I be good at? And there's a really, a, there's a whole slew of people that are ridiculously talented that the world doesn't know about because they're just not on social media. I love working yeah. with those folks. And so how do we do a, an assessment, I guess? How can we do it? If you're listening to this, what can I go through to realize? And if no one's around, because I always tell people, I love how Dr. Peterson says, you want to ask yourself a question, sit at the edge of your bed, look in the mirror and say, am, am I a good person? Am I truly being honest with myself? And if no one's around and you remove your ego, what's the answer? What would we, what would you suggest we do to really do a self-assessment? I, I think you can tell when you're not being yourself because it requires more energy to be someone else. Mm. So when you're around, do your, your, does your jaw, your lips tighten up? You can tell. Do you, are you more conscious of your body language, your position? And, and because you're trying to fit into some, something in your mind as to how you have to be. And if there's a big gap between how you are at home with your most trusted friends and family members, and there's a difference between that and your professional self, then you have to just check in. And I, I think it's okay and it's necessary for you to be different people to different uh, to, to others or, because the scenario and the situation requires it. And I'll give you an example. I have two boys. I'm married and I have students uh, like that I go to a classroom and I teach. I do not talk to each one of them the exact same way. Mm. And, but there's a reason why. It's because with my children, I need to be stern, but I need to be loving. I need them to know that no matter what they do in their life, that dad will always love them. And there's no, it's um, unconditional love that they're going to get from me. With my wife, it's it's funny. It's a little bit different. I love her in a different way. I'd lay down my life for her, but it's not in that same unconditional way. You, you can't just be crazy. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to love you forever. It, it's, it's it's a little bit different. And I, I for sure cannot speak to my wife the way I speak to my children. I get a slap in the face and <laughs> and I'll be sleeping on the couch that night if I do. And so I, I want people to recognize that, yes, there are different modalities of how we behave around different people because the circumstances and the situation call for it, but not because you're pretending to be somebody because you're fearful of being rejected by that group or community. I love that. And I think that there, there's a lot of times when we're working with our Amplify students, we're, we're getting them to tell a story or to do something. Oh, it doesn't feel authentic. I said, or maybe having them put a filter on some of the things that they say on social media. And I said, well, I go, let me ask you another question. You're saying, is it not authentic or not? Because I don't think having this level of tact has anything to do with authenticity. It has everything to do with more of emotional intelligence and understand like, who's your audience. It doesn't take any effort or any skill to rant on social media and to, and to collect people who already believe what you believe and to push away people who already disagree with you. That takes zero skill, but yet it works so well on social. And that's why we find a lot of good influencers, you put them on a stage or in a consultative environment and they crumble because they're actually there to unite usually an idea or unite people and not just divide. Dividing simple, just yell about something and all of a sudden you, you, you'll, the people will pick and choose who they are. There's no skill in that. But getting the opposition to go, huh, somebody who doesn't agree with you to say, you know what, I never thought about it that way. That to me is skill. There's, there's a, there's something there. And for me, like you said, to use a different approach, it's like approaching golf with the same golf, golf club. 
every shot. No, you have different clubs in the bag for a reason. You have to assess the situation and see which skill set or which approach might be the right one. And, and I loved your example of children. You might have to be stern and loving, and but you know, with a client, you 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 have to be different as well. You have to be authoritative. And maybe if you're leading a group, you have to be upset sometimes and, and being able to say, here are the boundaries, but they're all different clubs in the bag that we're all using. And so when, when we think about, let's go back to go deeper on this, this, the biggest mistakes I think people make with personal branding. And I'll, I'll, I'll tee you up a little bit and tell me if you agree with this. They'll begin with color schemes, logos, and posting on social media. And then people will say, just post, 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 post. And I go, and my thoughts are, one is, okay, getting to post is great. Getting in the habit of posting is great. It won't build a brand for you. You'll build up a muscle. But your brand is going to be around a specific promise of a solution that you're going to solve that's usually solving an internal problem. Most people don't even know how to get to the internal problem. They're solving external problems. You know, posting is great. But then at some point, if you're just post, 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 you become noise. And people may see you they recognize you, but is that a brand or is that just recognition? What are your thoughts on all that? Well, okay. Why don't we go backwards a little bit and we'll come up with some definitions so that we can have a, Love it. a, a, a conversation using the same ideas because the word brand is used a lot when people don't really understand it. What's really interesting to me was there were a bunch of people in the real estate industry who came up to me from Neil's event and said, Chris, so many people in the industry don't understand branding. I said, that's okay. So many people in the branding industry don't understand branding. So you guys are doing this great. Let's just understand that. Okay. So let's start there. Um, yeah. There are many definitions about what a brand is, but I think they all mean pretty much the same thing. And so I'll, I'll go with the, the textbook version by Marty Neumeyer, which is a brand is the person's got feeling about a product service or organization. So it's not what you say it is. It's what they say it is. Mm. It's a feeling and you can't control people's feelings. However, you can influence it. Jeff Bezos describes a brand as the, uh, what people say about you when you leave the room. So it's still, it's that feeling. And, and so when we go deeper, because if I have 100 people who know me and they have 100 different opinions and feelings about me, I don't have a brand. But when, let's just say, when enough people, let's say it's 100 people, have a similar feeling about me, then you have a brand. A brand creates preference. A brand has promises and associations attached to it sometimes good and sometimes negative. You can have a negative brand. Some tobacco companies have that. Big oil has that problem. And some people have positive associations. So what we're trying to do is we're just trying to manage the impressions that we make upon people. And when we do so in an artificial way, we have an inauthentic brand. But when we do it in a genuine way, then we, we're said to have a true brand and something that people find very charismatic. There's one difference between what you said and what I believe, Renee. I actually think it's very difficult for people to say what they think, despite what you think. You can say, I love Trump or I hate Trump. That is actually really difficult for people to say because they're afraid of the ramifications. We're afraid of people judging us. We're afraid of being canceled. We don't want to be seen this way. This is why everyone is tiptoeing on eggshells all the time. And so we learn in polite society, you don't say what you think. You, I don't know about you. When, when I was a kid, if I stared at somebody who looked different, who's too tall or too short, my mom would yank me on the shirt and say, don't look, don't stare. I'm like, but mom, you know, and kids tell the truth. Kids just say whatever. So after a while, we're conditioned to stop expressing what we think. And there's good reasons why, because some of it is actually just not polite and no one gives an F what you think about them. So let's not go espousing all of our thoughts. But 
there's a consequence to this. We start self-editing now. We don't want to say anything. And I think it's actually really brave for people to say, I like this. I dislike that. These are just my opinions. And I respect that you may have a different opinion. That's the part that we're missing. That part requires skill, Renee. I agree right. with you. So let's, but let's dive into that piece because I'm, I'm having kind of a questioning myself moment here of what I believe because it's forcing me to get more refined in what I was saying. I actually really agree with you that it does take courage and bravery to espout to the world what you believe because then you're, you're risking ridicule and, yes. and that. So, so let me retract a little bit and refine okay. what I'm saying. I agree with that. I think I'm coming from the perspective on in creating change and yelling offensive things about how some people are telling what you believe in a respectful manner, I think is courageous. I don't know if there's much courage in doing it in a disrespectful, lack of tact, loud, abusive, bullying type way is probably what I'm referring to. This yeah. is good for me to kind of refine what I'm saying, because I, th I think that there's, you know, if I want to just go, let's just talk about political party, X party, they're stupid. They're a bunch of fill in the blanks, liberals, uh, uh, conservatives, whatever, whatever name you want to put to it. If I want to just blanket people in a certain piece to trigger emotion. So there's another quote that I want to kind of put to the backdrop. And I love that you define terms because I think quotes also become maxims that we can live by. T.S. Eliot says, just because something's been abused does not neglect its use. And so some people, you're talking about the good use of courage and bravery to really stout what you believe. I think I'm referring to as the abuse of it, where the over pushing of just completely ridiculing another side where, you know, if I'm, if I'm talking about politics or if I'm talking about, you know, uh, this is politics, probably the, the most polarizing right now. It's, can I, if I'm trying to create change, yelling and screaming about what I believe does not create change. It just polarizes, but yet you get, you get fed so much positive feedback from the people who believe what you believe. And it grows on social because it's polarizing and it's really, it'll get views and all that sort of stuff. And I think you do that once or twice and you start getting so much dopamine from the hit, you start realizing, well, let me, who cares what it is that I'm talking about? I'm getting views. And so then now the end in their mind justifies the means. I don't agree that ends justify the means. I believe the means should reflect the end in every possible way. The road to heaven should be heaven. If I want to create peace, I should probably do it in peaceful ways. And there's a lot of history to support that, but I think that's what I'm talking about in that sense and finding that maybe, and I think I need to refine how I'm saying it. So I appreciate this mm. conversation to say, I think we need to go, okay, it, it, can we find, we should find the bravery to be who we are. Cause I, I go, I don't think I'm as brave as I should be, but I'm also having this meaning I don't espouse what I believe, you know, politically and things like that. But I also go, is that the battle I'm trying to fight? Yeah. And the moment that I do that, will I trigger arguments that are derailing from what I'm trying to create, which is more of unity in, communi in community, where I believe that once we remove a political veil, and I can show you some research around that, that people are much more alike and their values are much more aligned than they realize. Mm. There's a great uh, TED talk called How to Have Better Political Conversations from two neuroscientists. And what they did is they pulled people that were already defined as politically opposing, and they had them talk about values. And what was fascinating is to watch Republicans defend Democrat, Democratic values and Democrats defend Republican values. And so once you remove the label, we're actually much more similar. So I think that's what I'm, what I'm saying. And I love this because I want people to hear that, you know, I had said, no, it doesn't take any skill. That was too simple of a comment. So I appreciate that you challenged me on that. I think that maybe what I'm saying is how, and I'm going to ask this, how can we do this in a way 
that still invites people. Cause I, my mother used to always say, Renee, I get scared when you get passionate because there's no room for people make room for people in your passion. I was like, oof. Okay. So I'll, I'll post that back to you. What are your thoughts on okay. all that? I think there are a couple of steps. I'm going to freestyle with you and see where it goes. And I love this. What I say. Okay. Let's, let's do it. I think step, step zero before we get to step one is to check in with yourself. Who am I? What's my self-concept to have some kind of self-awareness and then to begin to have the inner dialogue and to accept who you are. Step two is to share it with the world, to have the courage to be able to speak it out loud. Step three, I believe, is to learn to use nonviolent communication such that you leave space for other people to share opposing points of view. That's not to say you kowtow or you you give some kind of milk toast answer. I believe when people ask you for what your opinion is, you, you owe them the truth. But you have to try to communicate this in nonviolent language. And I think that's the skill and that's the hardest thing to do. Mm. So there's, there's, there's levels to this because I think the problem is, and, and we see this in, in YouTube videos where they, they go either left wing or right wing and they, they talk to people on the street and they're full of like emotion, like mm. raging emotion. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, why do you hate that? They, they can't even speak to it. They're like foaming at the mouth, like a wild dog. And it's quite crazy. So they skip steps zeros one and two. They're just going straight to the motion and then they're avoiding the work that is required to to do it in a nonviolent way. Uh, you mentioned uh, Dr. Peterson before, and he's often criticized for lots of different things. He goes, well, I'm a critical thinker. And to be a critical thinking, <laughs> risk you risk offending. being offensive. Yeah, yeah you, you risk offending people. And I like to think of myself as a critical thinker. So I'm going to share with you my thoughts as they are. And I'm not 100% committed to it, and I shouldn't be. And if you'd like to have like an intellectual conversation with me and present a different point of view, I'm open to listening to this. And sometimes when someone's really that smart and that thoughtful and have checked in with themselves, then I will be swayed to adopt a new opinion. I think that's the beauty of life because you can grow and you can change your mind. So you said a couple of things I think are critical. I'm, this is a sequence that I heard you say. One, I love the zero, one, two, but you said, I'm a critical thinker. And to be a critical thinker, you have to risk offending people in the search for truth. I'll add that, right? Yeah. Yep. And so then bit. they're in the search for truth. But now there's a lot of people that aren't critical thinkers that are just get off offending people. There is a big difference, I think, there. There's people that just say, I'm going to do this because it's it's going to offend some people and that'll gain attention. And I think that's where I have the rub, right? It's if you're a critical thinker, in fact, the critical thinkers that offended me are the ones that made me change the most. Right. I TikTok helped me really reshift my whole political view of things, mm. if you can believe that, mm. because I, I heard people that I would have never listened to. I've grown to love people that I hated before that I really despised and going, OK, they're they're smart. And that doesn't mean I love everything they say, but it's it's a very different perspective. Do you, do you follow Andrew Bustamante? No. So everyday spy, highly suggested. He's a former CIA spy and now he's sharing what he can share legally uh, around what it's like to be a spy. And one of the things that I've been talking about for years is I have this part of one of my courses that I uh, engage courses called my case against reality. And so when you get into neuroscience, you get into influence and you really dig between the cracks. There's what we share publicly in terms of like understanding, you know, the brochures, the keynotes are brochures. It's, there's no life transformation that usually happens in a keynote. You think it is, but it's really not life transformation. Transformation happens in boot camps and workshops and, you know, time where you spend time. But when you get really into influence, you're really talking about shifting per, per, uh, people's reality. And you, if you can shift perspective, reality, and, and I did change management for years with hostile work environments and some of the world's largest organizations. 
And so when it comes to true behavior change, you have to be able to create psychological safety. It's number one, which is what you're talking about, how you create that, that safe, you know, nonviolent language, which is the opposite of psychological safety. And what, what he said, he has such a great way of talking about it because he said, what was the, it's one thing as a spy that us civilians could learn from. And he said, we have to move away from per perception and into perspective. And so he goes, okay, so perception equals, as we all know, reality, but it's only reality for you. And my, my perception is only reality for me. And as a spy, I need to have an advantage over the people I'm dealing with. And having my own perspective, my only single perspective, my only single perception is a very big disadvantage. So I have to be a collector of perspectives. And so the more, if there's 12 people in the room and I operate from my perception, my perspective, I'm really at a disadvantage. But if I can understand all 12, now I have a much fuller picture of the world. And there's that piece of saying, okay, one, I want to be somebody who leaves room for people to at least explore my perspective in a way that you can always go back and it's not going to be offensive. And you can always save face with me. That's, by the way, in change management for 30 years, the number one thing I think is, if you'd ask me, the number one thing to create help create change is allow the person that needs to change to save face in the process. That's so, so much to the point that you don't even, they don't even have to acknowledge that they were wrong before. And if they can do that, there's a self change that happens. But then how do I, number one, create a space where people can feel safe in engaging in different perspectives with me. And then how can I have the courage, even if they don't make it safe? Well, they didn't make it safe. Okay. Well then what if they had a solution that would solve problems for me, but they didn't make it safe. So I'm going to blame them for me not having the solution. Forget that. I don't need you to make it safe. I have to make this personal responsibility. Even if you don't make it safe, I still want to explore your perspective. So I think there's two pieces into that. So I, I, I really, really like that. So who am I? You said that's zero. And yeah. what do I really believe? And then courage to share it with the world. And then how do I share it in a way that's that nonviolent communication, which really would mean how do I not triggers people, pe trigger people's defense mechanisms through attacks in some way, shape or form. If I throw something at you, you're going to defend yourself. I can throw words at you. You'll have to defend yourself. And the moment you're defending, you're not listening. So I love that is how do I do those three? I'm going to, I'm going to make sure those get in the notes. I, I love that. That was a great summary. I do want to share a couple of different ideas with you in, in tying it together with the political discourse that's happening online, which is if you want to grow an audience spewing hate, that's fine. But there's this idea. It's like the hate that you create is the hate that you take. Mm. And then when you misstep, guess what's going to happen? There, that that kind of foaming, frothing at the mouth where people are so angry about something, they're going to turn it right on you. But if you create content around community, unity, acceptance, respecting one another's opinions, then when you missed up, your audience, your community will step in and say, you know, we're all not perfect. None of us are, right? So there's there's a real life example here. It's less popular these days, but there used to be these YouTube channels with millions of subscribers where they would just prank people and doing really mean-spirited things. Yeah. And then when bad information leaked out about them, their whole community just trashed them. Mm. Well, that's who you brought to the table. <sighs> so you invited true. those angry, mean-spirited people who want to laugh at others, uh, their misery and their their gullibility, you know? Mm. That, that's what that's who you, you built. That's your community. It's angry people who want to punch others. And so when you fall, guess what? They're not going to lift you up. They'll punch you on your way down. So I think that's really important. Here's the other thing about perspectives. The Wachowskis, uh, fresh off at Cloud Atlas, uh, I saw them um, at a screener. They're, they're doing a discussion. And, and, and somebody asked them, like, what, what is art to you? 
And it is the clearest, uh, most concrete definition of art I've ever heard. And I want to share it with you. Art is an invitation to look at the world through a different lens. <sighs> and so if you're, wow. you're, you're painting your movie, your piece of music doesn't invite me to look at the world from a different point of view, then maybe that's not art. And I love that because it doesn't describe shape, form, or anything else. And when I used to teach storyboarding, uh, I'm, I'm a student of a film, cinematography, and composition, design. One of the exercises I would get my students to do is to look at the world from a different point of view, quite literally. So when we say, okay, uh, I want you to take something that you're very familiar with and they're going to storyboard this thing. And that's going to be like maybe your breakfast routine or like what you do when you wake up, like slippers, brush your teeth, comb your hair, whatever it is that you do and storyboard that first. So that's the baseline. And I'll tell you what happens. Okay. Everybody draws it from their point of view, meaning if I'm five foot eight, which I am, that's how I see the world. Everything is shown from that lens because that's a lens I'm most familiar with. I said, now I want you to take your exact same sequence and pretend like you're a toddler. How would you see this world? Well, you see mostly knees and shins at this point, and you might see it through the bars of a crib. You know, you might never see yourself. You might just see shadows and shapes because that's a different point of view. And then try now to go even lower than that. What if you had the point of view of the toothbrush? What is it doing? How does it see you enter into the bathroom? Is it like really excited? Like, you know, I'm ready, you know, I'm ready to go. Put the, put the toothpaste on my face and like, and then brush. And that is a genius that the people at Pixar have been able to do movie after movie. They try to show you perspective that is uncommon. And in that mm. they create some pretty radical films and stories that really capture our imagination and our heart. That's so fascinating and this is and folks if you're listening to this this is why you need to talk to people who truly do branding when they're into this creative world because they what the way they think becomes such a punchline and such a cliche to others but they understand it in a different way like they'll look through other perspectives yeah yeah i heard that no like like I, i'm having this aha moment of just going i love all the pixar movies and you're right we're looking through the perspective of a toy or an ant or a car or whatever it is and it's like and it's so fascinating to see that and my whole life before what people see on social was really about helping leaders and managers and line workers and unions communities see the perspective of someone else it's it's a continuation of the work that my mother did and and you know she was a former nun and, and did all sorts of work in five different countries and most inspirational person in my life but now I think that's one of the reasons, like her first company was called multi-channel communications using arts and music and dance and colors and things. You know, she would take literally into manufacturing sites like DuPont was one of her first clients and they would hand out these memos for safety. And she'd bring this memo back. She goes, do you know that 85% of your workforce in this facility doesn't speak English? And it was just like in the, in the early eighties, it was like, oh, uh, and then she'd bring ideas and say, why don't we draw a picture? for them and we would drop they would have the, they, but they would bring artists from the floor they would draw pictures of like people slipping and falling these caricatures and they'd post them all over next to the signs and people would read them and it was using different modes of communication to actually send the message and you know we look now at how many you know the videos and how much more media we have choice for that's phenomenal and i love this art as an invitation to look at the world through a different lens 
And you know what I love about what you're saying is that look at the work that you're doing. And I, I can honestly say, you know, you, do you have a, a do you have a an awareness that you're creating something for an audience? And obviously, we all want views. And but I would think authentically, you're saying, how do I truly come from a place that is a different perspective that is unique to me? And is that where you create from? Well, it depends. Right now, when we're talking about branding and personal branding, the the place I'm creating from is my own perspective. And then mm -hmm. it's an invitation for you to look at the world through through a different lens, through my lens. And you and I know this, I believe, in that there's very little new information out in the world. The things very that little. Jim Rohn and Brian Tracy and, <laughs> and those guys have been talking about and whoever before them, we're still talking about them today. Mm -hmm. The things that just misquoting them. <laughs> yeah, oftentimes. Or 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 the, the new package is like Gary Vaynerchuk saying, get rid of one loser friend. It freaks people out. But if you start to backtrace that, it's like, where where does Gary get that get rid of one loser friend? I think it's Jim Rohn said, if you want to know who you are, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so yep. so what Gary is doing is he's not saying something new, but he's saying it through his lens, which is yeah. very short, sound bite. And, and very aggressive. There's judgment mm. in there, but he's communicating and attracting a very specific type of crowd, the hustlers, yeah. right? Uh, maybe some alpha people, whatever. That's fine. That's his community for some time. And so what, what he's doing is saying, here's how I want to look at it. And so I'm like you and I, we owe it to ourselves to say, well, what is my take on that? What is my flavor? How do I remix this pizza in a way that people feel like, oh, this has been updated for 2023 or 2024. I like that flavor. And it's, you know, the most powerful thing, number one thing, it's the sound quality of your voice. Mm -hmm. When we're creating content in the way that you and I are creating, there is a register in which you speak at that's a frequency that we're either in sync or out of sync with. Mm. Like when we mm. say we're on the same wavelength, I thought yeah. it was like on a surf wavelength, but that ain't the wavelength. I think it's an audio frequency wavelength, like whatever mm. our energy, our brain patterns, and it emits a sound and this energy that gets communicated, it hits people. Yeah. You know, I love that. I'm, I'm going to share two things that are going through my mind. I want to go to the wavelength in a second here. The more I listen to you, the more I really think that I don't really know who I am. I think I do. And I'm, and there, there are a lot of moments in time in my work that I really feel like with my work, I, I'm crystal clear. This is who I am, and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But when I pick up that camera to go to go live or to do a story, I feel like in those moments I'm lost. There's so many thoughts. But what's crazy is that I'm better when I'm asked a question. And I don't know if it's a, a generation thing. You know, when I hold the the camera up and doing that, you know, is that generational? That maybe that's just not how I was, or is it that I need to to have more courage to start. And, and this is, I love this because you're, you're shifting my mindset. Who am I? Can I share it to the world? And then do I have the courage to even share some of my thoughts? Cause a lot of thoughts I know that I don't share because I know that they are distracting from where, where I'm trying to go, but maybe I need to start doing that. And in, in in, with that last piece, utilizing the nonviolent language to say, you know, this is, this is how I view these things. And so that's one piece. So I, I one, I just thank you for shift, just getting me to really internally. And I hope you think you're listening to this. I'm, I hope you're willing to go on the same journey of saying, man, you know, even if you think you are, what if you weren't and what else could you do differently? And so then the, the wavelength piece. So a lot of the, what we take and do and amplify is we're helping people share stories, right? And then, 
And a lot of people will come to me and say, well, I'm, I'm not really authentic in my storytelling and things like that. And I said, well, I would venture to say that when you're telling a story with your friends at happy hour, you're very authentic. Did you have to script out your happy hour conversations? No, you just showed up and you talked. And I'm assuming your voice was perfectly aligned with that. Your body matched and everything. But now we get you in, in an environment where you're self-promotion, like let's say, you know, a girl asking a guy out, why do they change? It's no different than somebody, you know, trying to be in a sales presentation or on stage. There's this massive shift. And so a lot of the secret is helping people share a story that already exists. And what's fascinating is that, you know, we do these transformations on stage and like, how'd you do that? I said, well, I help them share a memory and the memories are memorized. And if the memory is a recollection of the truth, your body aligns in an authentic congruent way. And so the, it's, it's about how do I then shift most of my storytelling around what already is real and get enough practice, like you said, the 10,000 hours so that it's just where I authentically go. And one of the things we teach people is before you talk is to take a moment and think like Elon Musk does a great job of this. Steve Jobs did a great job of this, but the person that they're asked the question, they go right away. It's like, okay, well, si give yourself a moment. It's like, if you were to order a dish at a restaurant, a very, very intricate dish, and it comes out in one minute, you'd be like, how long ago did you already make this? Cause this dish doesn't come out in a minute. Right. And, you know, the really something from scratch takes a while to curate. And I think ideas are that way too in conversation. And so when, when we're going into this and I want to be cognizant of time here, one, I, I could go on forever about this. I think that there's more conversations to have. So if you can come back, I would Absolutely. love to have you back because, because there, the other piece that I wanted to cover was your story. And I, I wanted to take you on an exercise and see if you're willing to play with me. Sure. And this is, this is a process that we go through at Amplify where we ask you what makes you unique and uncover maybe a, a story that's an origin of that story. And you might already know this. So, so let's just have some fun with it. So Chris, if I were to ask you three words that make you unique, what would they be? Observant. Critical. Opinionated. Hmm. You're an opinionated introvert. I love that. And, and so when you say critical, what do you mean? How, in what definition are you thinking critical? When somebody asks me what I think of a film or a piece of music, I will go in and describe in great painstaking detail about what I like and what I dislike. And so I Got can it. be a very annoying friend to go watch a movie with. So you, you're looking at, you're, you're able to critique and dissect and really hone in on the details up and down and you'll have an opinion on the details. Yes. Is critical and opinionated similar? Um, possibly. Uh, so I have this whole theory, right? It, the quality of the output depends on the quality of the input. So if you're not an observer of the world, you'll ask people mm -hmm. like, what'd you get from that book? Like, I don't know. I don't recall anything. Well, why'd you even read it then? And this is just about life. Yeah. There's a line from, from Frank Herbert's Dune that I love and I repeat to everybody. I'm like, Duke Lido Atreides says to Paul, the sleeper must awaken. So I have this theory that we're all sleepwalking through life, that we're not literally in the matrix, but it feels like the matrix where there's this code that nobody... <laughs> there's a lot of evidence to say that we, we might, might be, be right now. And I leave that to be yeah. open. You know, one day Morpheus taps me on the shoulder and says, follow the white rabbit. I'm going, babe. I'm doing it. Right? So it's like we don't observe. We're, we're kind of just sleepwalking through life, through our marriage and through our, our, our duties and responsibilities as a parent or as a community member, as a teacher, as a as an employee or an employer, we're just sleepwalking through life. So let's wake up, let's, let's observe. And then 
let's not just observe to like a surface level, but like let's really dive in there and pull apart and understand what works, what doesn't work. And then let's not be afraid to share those thoughts with people once we come to some conclusion. Now, I'd like to ask you this question. When you watch America's Got Talent or X Factor or one of those shows, there's four judges. Who is the most popular judge, you think? Who is it? Most critical. The most critical is always Simon Cowell. And, and he's loved yeah. and he's hated. But you know, when he says yeah. something good, it has meaning. Yeah. It has real meaning. Yeah. The judges in the middle usually are very like, rah, rah, we love you, we support you, and we'll never say anything negative. And we need that too. We need that loving mother maternal energy. Yeah. But it's like, I'm not getting anything from this. So yeah. we have to observe, we have to be critical, and then we have to be able to say it. What Simon and maybe, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Chef Ramsey, for TV at least, they go above Ramsey, and beyond yeah. and just trying to hurt you. And that's the part where we have to kind of be skillful at. Yeah, I love that. Okay, this is good. All right, so now, if you were to say, being observant, critical, and opinionated, would those represent your personal values in some way, shape, or form? They are me. I haven't thought of it in that way in terms of like what my personal values are. What and I, let me adjust them a little bit because for for me, critical is 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 really about being present and 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 looking at the makeup of how things are created. Right, you have to look at all of the formula. Opinionated, which would mean what would what would what's the really underlying value of opinionated? Um. I don't know. Why do you want to have an opinion? Why is that important to you? It means I thought about things. Mm. So being thoughtful. Yeah. And, and, and taking a stance on something. Yeah. And a lot of times opinion is, okay, taking a stance. Okay, so, so it, well, the reason why I ask is that our, our values are formed between the ages of 9 and 13 in the brain, right? There's a critical period. Now, what's interesting is a narrative in, in the brain, it's how narratives are, are how the brain organizes memories and thoughts. It's also how it constructs reality, the beginning, middle, and end. But at between ages three and four is where the brain, the child starts realizing there's a narrative to life. Like dad's hungry, beginning. He walks to the fridge and eats something, middle. He's not hungry anymore, end. Ah, when hungry, engage in that narrative, that story. But by age, between ages nine to 13, we realize those narratives are guided by values in some way, shape, or form. And so let's take observant for a minute. What I say is, okay, those, that, that, that sense of being an observant child, that, that values formulated between ages 9 to 13, I always want to know who was around and what happened during that time period. And it usually triggers one of two types of stories, either a lighthouse story, meaning somebody was around and they were the beacon of light that showed you what it meant to be observant, or what a lot of people have is foghorn stories. People weren't observed. They didn't really take the time to observe what was going on and they were pretty closed off. So who was around and were they a lighthouse or a foghorn? Nine to 13 for observant. I, I would I would say like uh, we're, both my parents worked a lot and so we're latchkey kids. I have an older brother. He's four years older than me. I, I think he was around uh, and he was the person I went to. He was like my surrogate father and he looked out for me mm. and, and he, yeah. he, he protected me from bullies and he taught me about things and and he supported me financially for, for my, my pet projects and, and the weird things I wanted to get into. And so would he be your lighthouse? I believe so, yes. And how, did, how, did how was he a lighthouse for being observant, just observing from your needs? Is that an, an empathy play there too? You know, he knew. You, you know how people know things about you before you know it? Like my mom and not yeah. my dad, but my mom, my older brother, they knew that I wanted to be a designer as an artist and as an entrepreneur. 
So get this, mm. when I'm, I think 15 years old or 14, my brother gets me a credit card because it's good for you to build up your credit. And it's under his name and he's paying for it. I don't even understand the system. I just use the credit card thinking the bills magically go away somehow. And so later on, yeah. he got a little, a little problem over that, but he was looking out for me. He flew me to San Diego so I can go to a Spike and Mike's film festival before I even knew what animation was. And this is something I'd be doing. So cool. He knew that. Yeah. So really observing in your mind might be one of the deepest way to, ways to care about somebody. It's seeing who they are. Is that right? Yeah. Seeing them. So tell me, so you just did there. You told us a story about how your mom and your dad or your mom and your brother really saw who you were. They were observant of your needs, your desires, your wishes, your dreams. And then they supported that. Would you say that that's one of the things that you do best with people is, is observe and see them for who they are? I think it's one of my stronger characteristics. Yes. Awesome. So the reason why we do this, like a lot of times we'll say, Hey, who are you? What do you do? What makes you unique? And we'll, we'll talk with we'll, people will go with the words I'm observant I'm this. And then we leave up to chance for people to put the meaning behind those words. But I think, you know, part of the amplify process is saying, okay, instead of starting with the answer, we would start with the story and say, so who are you? What do you do? What do you do? What makes you unique? You know, my growing up as an immigrant, my mother and my, my brother were two, were two people. And you go into that, telling that story, they were people that knew who I was and you, tell this beautiful story. And I think you can even transition that into very easily, you know, so when I work with you from a brand perspective, you know, I look at you and I see who you are. I like to take the time to observe and really be present and to be positively critical in those areas to find those areas of opportunity. So I think that that to me helps me know you even more, but I, I've, I've kind of wanted to do this with some of my guests to say, okay, you know, is there an origin story in there from how your brother and your mother really formulated who you are today? How does it feel to kind of hear that? I've, it feels great. And you're echoing things that I've been thinking about and if told in small ways, but you're just reinforcing that that story needs to be told in clear, louder ways. Uh, but you know, there's something here because my friends feel, or, or not my friends, I should say people who, who, who admire me from a distance are oftentimes a little scared to talk to me. And I, I, mm. I don't know why that is. Of course, there's the natural part, like you're more famous than I am, but whatever that word means. But I think right. that's because I actually see people and they're afraid that they're going to be not literally, but figuratively naked before me. And I, I actually do know who they are before they can say it. One of my biggest <laughs> frustrations in, in my conversations with people is I wish you would just tell me the truth because yeah. I know what the truth is. Inside, I see someone who's hurting, who's pretending to be this or that, who's acting very irrational, emotionally, very childish right now. And I wish you just tapped into that and instead of posturing and saying it's about this other thing. That you're not yeah right yeah i you know i love that about you my friend you are not somebody that you would bullshit or do that with i think you would see right through that and i think when you and i are in somewhat of the same industry in the sense of we see a lot of the speakers out there and the popular ones and then we get a chance to see them behind the scenes too and you get a chance to see like there's some of the most famous speakers that i know that people read their books and they've sold millions of copies but you see, you meet them backstage and they are train wrecks, absolute train wrecks until they get on that stage. And that there, there, we, there are a lot of people hiding a lot of things. And I think that there's something beautiful about creating a space where, for people that, you know, even if you are scared, great, that's okay. Even if you are insecure, cool. So am I, it's one of the things that made me good at what I am. I do. I just so scared of being bad on that stage or not knowing or not having read that book. So I'm going to go out and work my tail off. Whereas when we hide it, is where I think that the the prison 
becomes and where we, we, we aren't able to do that. But also I think that's where the sacred relationships are formed is where we can actually be ourselves in that. And I think you are one of those people. Chris, I think you're special. I think you've got some some really magnificent gifts that you're sharing with the world. And I couldn't be happier that you're getting the attention that you're getting. I think you're only just beginning. It's a, it's an honor to know you and honor to have you on this podcast. And, and I truly look forward to finding more and more ways to work together. And so anything else you want to leave our audience with here before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I do want to say something. You said that I'm a type of person that you don't want to BS around. And I say I'm the type of person there's no need for you to BS around because I accept you for who you are. I accept you in your flaws and broken ways. I, I accept you for your irrational emotional thoughts and some some of your petty things. Whatever it is, I just accept. And I wish each and every single person could accept that about themselves. Because that level of self-acceptance, that level of self-love is one of the most magnetic things that you can do. Mm. If you want to be a person who's loved, accepted, appreciated, acknowledged, lean into this part and just say, you know what? This is who I am. Some things I'm not proud of. Some things give me terrible anxiety and I'm okay letting you know that. And then what happens mm. to everybody in the room? They just exhale like, oh. So you're saying I don't have to be that way either. So oftentimes what I'll do is I'll go on stage or in a room. I'll just tell, tell them a, a funny story. So I knock myself down a peg and take myself off yeah. the pedestal to say like, the only difference between you and me is the orientation of the chairs right now. That is it. Yeah. And I wish you can start from there and we'd have a real conversation because I'm tired of all the nonsense, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, you are a breath of fresh air, my friend. Uh, I hope you watch, those who are watching, please follow Chris. He, he's very easy to find. His YouTube channel is extremely educational. Uh, his, his Instagram is so beautifully done. I mean, aesthetically, it's beautiful, but the content is great. All of all the things you're doing are fantastic. And uh, Chris, how can they find you? If there's anything that people, I know people are listening to this, how can I engage more? Is there something, there's a class you're giving? What, what can you, where can we send people? Yes. First of all, you can follow me on almost every social media channel. I'm at the Chris Doe and Doe is spelled D-O. If you're more interested in personal branding, I am running something called the Brand Lab and it will open up uh, for enrollment in I want to say April of next year, 2024. So be on the lookout for that. Message me if you're interested. I'm not here to do a hard sell. Uh, if you are really, really focused on doing that deep work, that shadow work uh, that Carl Jung talks about, and you want to learn how to heal and then express that to the world in, in, in generous ways, I'm here for you. Love that. And I hope that people follow and buy everything you have because they're going to be better for it. We're all going to be better for it, Chris. Thank you so much for being on here. So please, folks, if you enjoyed this, like, subscribe, share, do all the wonderful things, support Chris and all the efforts. I appreciate you being here, and we will see you next time on the Amplify podcast. Thank you, Renee. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this time with us. If the experience resonated with you, follow us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or AmplifyMyLife.com. Share it with anyone else who's ready to amplify their lives. And remember to let our hearts speak in sequence. For more from Renee Rodriguez, visit MeetRenee.com.